good morning, everyone. Uh, to everyone who's here, and of course our online community, so glad that you could make it digitally. And um, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, um, whoops, uh, welcome to Thrive Church. <laughs> I'm so glad that that we all made it. And my prayer, as always, is that you find something meaningful, that you have some kind of God. And uh, um, today, obviously, is no different. And um, it's a little different outside. Last week, uh, we were um, uh, out of town, and uh, we left when it was 80-some-odd degrees, and we came back, and it was like 40. So we left in the summer, and we came back in the fall. Who knew that it could take just such a short period of time to get there? But, um, but here we are. Now, hopefully, we all stay healthy, because I'm not sure you can get just normal sick, <laughs> right? No. So try to stay healthy, everyone. All right. Um, <clears throat> Here's the deal. I'm starting a two-part series today. Uh, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time, um, but l- let's just be honest. 2020's been one of those kinds of years, right? It's just been strange, and I've had to put things off, and you have, have too. Um, and what I want to talk about, I'm, I'm just going to warn you up front, it's a little um, audacious, and uh, uh, there's, I might as well just kind of get to it. Um, the title of the series is um, How to... Yeah, you're laughing now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit controversial, but I've been wanting to talk about this, like I said, for a while. Now, there's a couple of commitments that I'm going to make to you. Commitment number one is I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Um, first, that's unwise. Second, it is presumptuous. <laughs> And third, I don't really want to tangle with the IRS over our nonprofit status. Thank you very much. So, um, yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Um, and secondly, I also recognize that um, there's a very good chance that I'm going to aggravate people. And you just need to understand I'm okay with that. And I'm willing to live with those consequences. Um, and you'll, you'll see why as we kind of go along. The truth of the matter is that this has been on my heart for some time because um, I'm troubled by what I'm, I'm seeing is kind of this assumption, um, especially, I'm seeing it especially in social media, but, uh, but, I've, but I've also kind of seen it in the news and, and whatnot. And I, it, it's this idea that if you're a Christian, you vote with a particular party, that those two things go hand in hand. And what's so fascinating to me is that we don't necessarily realize that if you're an evangelical cr- Christian, you typically vote along um, conservative Republican lines. But if you are a mainline Christian, you tend to vote along more liberal Democratic lines. And, and the, the fact of the matter is both sides believe they're, they're voting as Christians. Did, did you know that? I mean, you've got both sides of the, of, of the aisle who are, who are saying, you know, claiming Christ uh, to a certain extent. And, you know, we think that God's on our, on our side at some level, regardless of, of where, where you sit. And, and here's the thing that I, I want to get across. If you don't remember anything else, now, there's other things I want you to remember, too. But <laughs> in, this, in this particular case, if you're going to vote like a Christian, you, you have, that's the place that you have to start. And I, I want you to process things elegantly. 
I want you to process things thoroughly. I want you to process things truthfully, not ideologically. Because I think what happens is we, we tend to um, think we have an understanding and then we find the ideology that fits it or we have the ideology and then we go and we try to find the Bible passages that support our position. Okay? And I want you to process better than that because I've told you before and I mean it. We're going to be a thoughtful church. And this is a complex thing and I don't believe that if we're going to be true to that value of being thoughtful, that we can settle for simplistic answers. Okay? So we need to wrestle with some things. And, and if you're a Christian, you have to speak inside of the tension of both truth and love. And they are in tension with each other at times. Have you noticed this? Right? If you have kids, you know. There is that tension between those two things. And I believe with every fiber of my being that God has called us to be a prophetic voice, not a voice of propaganda. We are a prophetic voice. And to do that, <clears throat> we have to start with God, not our assumptions of what we think God are. Okay? That's, that's the place that I'm coming from. So, take all of that in. When I was younger, I remember a conversation, I think it was between my parents, um, but it may not have been. It may have been another family member. And I remember that person saying is, I want to vote for the, the person, not the party. And <laughs> I think, uh, over time, that has become more difficult. Uh, because we're polarized. Have you noticed? We, we've kind of gone to the extremes. There's this kind of standard idea of a bell-shaped curve, and it feels like we've just kind of pushed everything off to the edges, um, and there's, there's very little common ground. The weird part of it is, is that the vast majority of the American voters tend to be in that middle section. They tend to be a little bit more moderate. And, and we want to vote for the person, but we don't feel like we can because we're so polarized on the various in, uh, issues which, frankly, is the consequence of a system that is dominated by two parties. But that's a sermon for another day, like maybe next week. That's what we call a hook, right? Come on back. And so I, I really think that as Christians, you have to examine both the party and the platform, but you also have to, you have to examine the candidate in their character. Because the truth of the matter is in a leader because organizations rise and fall on leadership. They just do. Um, and sometimes the weight of that is very heavy. And the truth of the matter is when we talk about something like discipleship, you know, that, that thing that, you know, we, we claim to be disciples of Jesus, when we talk about discipleship, that ultimately is about forming our character into the character of Jesus. So character does matter, okay? Keep this in mind. Character actually, actually matters. But the real question, and, and the one that just has bothered me for so long, is how do you evaluate that? 
Because there's that notion is, judge not, lest ye be judged. Remember this? Well, there's judgment in the sense of condemning someone, and then there's judgment in the form of evaluating. And I think we're absolutely allowed to, in fact, encouraged to, the character of God and what he's revealed to us in his word. And so we have, we have some, some things that, that we can use in the evaluation process, and we're encouraged to do so. The problem is that sometimes we don't, we don't see that. And so usually what happens with, within Christian communities, we go into the New Testament and we talk about the idea of examining fruit. Have you heard this before? And, and, and if you haven't, you know, here's, here's the quote. This is Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit, uh, and a bad tree cannot bear a good fruit. There's a lot of bears in that fruit, right? But the point with, with all of this is he's talking about prophets. He's talking about false prophecy, which I think is really interesting. But we... But, but there's a principle with this. And the principle is, is that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get the produce based on the root stock of the tree. And I get that, and I think we all understand. The problem is, it's still kind of nebulous, isn't it? Because what you think is good fruit and what I think is good fruit might be two different things. Okay, so a uh, quick story. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I were down in Florida and um, where my in-laws had a place, there was a state park that was known for wild oranges. Have any of you had a wild orange before? Have you? Okay, wild oranges, super sour. Like lemon quality sour, like pucker your lips, I can't eat because I can't fit anything in because my mouth is so mm, puckered up by it. You look at the tree, and it looks like an orange tree. But when you taste the fruit, ooh, that's a wild orange, right? And so you can't tell necessarily by looking at stuff. You have to have some more specifics. You've got to have some taste to it. And so what I really want to get down to is a way to help why in just, just a moment. It's in um, Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to read this, and then we're going we're gonna to pull it apart and take a look at it um, very specifically. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there, Proverbs chapter 6. If you have a Bible app, you can just go ahead and punch it in. I'm going to be starting at verse uh, number 16. Uh, fascinating. You may have heard some of these things before, um, and then we're going to see how it applies uh, to our, our understanding of uh, of evaluating character. So, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. The author writes, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man or person who stirs up, uh, or in some cases, dissension or conflict in the community. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Now, I need to give you a little context here. Uh, we need to understand a little more about this passage because, uh, again, if we're going to be thoughtful about our 
our faith and how we practice it, then we need to understand that these things are not written in a vacuum. There's actually a historical context, there's a literary context, and you need to understand some of these things in order to, to apply the ideas that we're going to talk about. The first thing that you need to understand is that Proverbs as a book is a collection of wise sayings. So very often, you would have a king, in this case it's most likely Solomon, um, who collects observations and experiences either by writing them down himself or by listening to what others have to say. There are lots of proverbs throughout the ancient Near East. In fact, we've, uh, 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 archaeologists have found some of these other collections. Uh, some of them are in Egypt, others are in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iran and Iraq. Um, and we've, we've found um, certain proverbs in our book of Proverbs that also appear in those other collections, which is fascinating to me. Because, frankly, wisdom is wisdom, right? And if you're a wise person and you hear wisdom from another culture, you're going to say, oh yeah, that's a good one. I think I'm going to write that one down, right? So understand that what we're seeing here in Proverbs isn't necessarily the promises of God. Um, this is a, a collection of wise sayings, of, of wise observations or experiences that the author is trying to commit to, in this case, paper for posterity. And sometimes you'll find a little tension between these, these proverbs, and that's okay. But ultimately, the experience of a king, in this case. And, and the reason why we're, we're kind of coming to this part of the Bible is because the Old Testament isn't necessarily speaking strictly to the church, like the New Testament is. Does it speak to the church? Of course it does, but not strictly to the church. Why? Because the church, as we know it, didn't exist in the Old Testament, okay? Very different context. And so what we have here is we have um, a, a king, a, a ruler, who is curating some of these wise observations for, for history, for posterity, but he's looking at these things in light of his faith. He's looking at what he observes in his uh, community in light of what he understands about God, which again is, is great wisdom, I think. So he's trying to apply these things. And so he's living his life as a ruler. What you do. Okay, so this is more about real life stuff than it, than it is necessarily about, about church stuff. And so I think we, we need to keep that con context in mind. Just like all of us, the writer has seen some things, he's writing some stuff, stuff down, and he's making commentary on it as he goes along. So, let's pick this up in verse 16. So, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. <laughs> this is kind of funny, because this is a literary device designed to get your attention. There's six things, oh no, wait, there's more. Oh, there's seven. Seven things that he finds detestable. Now, interestingly enough, this word hates carries with it the idea of having an enemy. It's not that, that God just dislikes these things. He is actively opposed to them. This is a strong word, hates. Okay, Seven things that are detestable to him. 
Um, let me just see if I can give you an example of what detestable means. So, anthropological study done, this was probably 20, 25 years ago, but there was a group of researchers who went worldwide to um, look at how human beings responded with their facial features to certain emotions, okay? And one of the universal facial expressions had to do with, with something that was disgusting. And it was a scrunched up look like, ugh, right? Doesn't matter what culture you're from. You're not going to smile at that one. It's going to be gross and your, your face is going to experience it. That's the word that's used here. This is disgusting to the Lord. Okay? So he's opposed to it and he finds it disgusting. So we use this word detestable. Okay. Just so that we understand this. Kind of a universal facial expression, kind of like that. So, you know, if you remember, do you remember the old uh, cartoon, The Far Side? How many of you remember that? Right? And every time that he drew God, God was like this guy with a beard. So imagine that only going like, Ugh. right? That's, that's where we're at. Okay. <clears throat> Fortunately for us, he begins to list them out, and he uses the human body as a framework for us to understand these things. So first thing he talks about is haughty eyes. Got to be honest, had to look this one up. Had to make sure that I understood what this really meant. Haughty eyes. So the word um, that's used for haughty means to exalt the self and to have contempt for others. So the phrase that we might use in English is to look down upon. Eyes that look down upon other people. Exalt the self and have contempt for others. Or um, maybe a better word is just plain old arrogance. And at the, at the center of arrogance is pride. And pride is often considered the source of all sin. And there's some theological reasons for that that I won't develop now. Keep your mind. It's the fundamental problem, the source of all sin. And it is the absolute opposite of something like humility. And humility seems to be pretty important to God. This is the opposite of that. So God hates this, he's opposed to it, and he detests it. Secondly, a lying tongue. And this is obviously, lying means lying, means deceitful, having falsehood uh, on the tongue. Um, it is opposite of the truth. Again, pretty important to God. So he is opposed to haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and then I really like this one, um, like the way it says, hands that shed innocent blood. And um, I think we all have a sense of what that really means. But if you think about, this is opposite of who God is by his character, who is life-giving. The one who spoke things into creation. This is opposite of that. And so consequently, um, you don't have, well, it's his character of healing, right, that we see in Jesus. And so God is opposed to those things that shed innocent, innocent blood. So right off the top, we've got three pretty powerful ones. And, and imagine an ancient king who is probably three, 4,000 years removed, and he's saying, this is what I've noticed. And the fact of the matter is, is that in our hearts, we know this too. We do know this, especially if you, at least I hope, if you grew up in a church. Number four, a heart um, that devised, devises wicked schemes. 
interesting term for the word devises here. It's an agricultural term, and it means to plow a field. That's what it's often used for, or to cut the earth. So imagine you get a big ox, and you got this thing on the back, and you're kind of steering it, maybe Charles Engel style, remember that? Kind of an idea. And, and, and if, you, if you kind of use your, it's not even really imagination, if you that the heart that creates conditions for evil, because when you're plowing a field, that's what you're doing. You're creating the conditions for plants to grow, so you can put seed down, right? And so what God is opposed to is the heart that creates the conditions for evil schemes. And not just for their own, but for others. How am I creating the conditions for that? Number five is feet that are quick to rush into evil. Um, the term here is run speedily, and into evil is something malignant. And what I, I find interesting is anything that gives pain and misery. Right? So we get a little nuance here when we talk about evil, because, you know, sometimes we just use it in this general sense, especially um, during th- um, Halloween time, right? Um, I like dressing up. I just don't understand why it has to be evil. I say that every year. I'm going to continue to say it. I think it's fun um, to have costumes and whatnot, but some of the stuff out there, <clears throat> don't get it. Um, why invite? Soapbox, put it away. I can only stand on one soapbox at a time. Okay, uh, number six. Um, false witness that pours out lies. This is a reference to the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. How many of you remember memorizing that at some point in your life? Yes. Um, this is again a reference to the eighth commandment. And you have to understand, in that particular culture, um, testimony had to be corroborated by two to three witnesses. And those witnesses had, there, there was very specific criteria. Um, most notably, they had to be male. Um, f- females, I'm sorry, ladies, I'm just telling you what the culture was, and I'm not arguing for it. Um, it had to be male, and um, there was other criteria that they had about their standing within the community, so on and so forth. But this is how certain um, civil cases were decided, uh, in a legal sense, right? And so um, to bear false witness, um, that type of, of lying. See, there's lying to cover yourself, but there's also lying to be um, malevolent or malicious towards someone else. Do you see that? Sometimes you can, well, sometimes we tend to lie just to cover our own, our, our own actions or our own behaviors and the things that we're not proud of. That, that happens. But it's something else entirely when you begin to lie um, against someone else, when you bear false witness against them, when you're actually making up lies because that actually hurts them. And that's not right. And God opposes that and God detests that. Okay? This is what ultimately what um, Solomon most likely is, is saying here is that in the public square, this, this is lying on steroids. So keep that in mind. Um, and then finally, seven is that um, someone who stirs up conflict in the community or dissension among the brothers, that's another way of saying it. Um, the idea here for stir spread and then conflict is about discord. 
confusion. And this is opposite of the order that God brings to things. Because remember, in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the deep, and the idea of deep is an idea of chaos. And when God spoke, he spoke order out of the chaos. And so God is one of order and one of understanding, not one of confusion. There have been many times where we've been in the midst of a discussion, and Pastor Dan reminds us, he goes, yeah, remember, God's not a, a, a God of confusion, he's one of order. And I always appreciate his, his ability and willingness to speak that into, at the right moments, and he gets all of us to calm down a little bit and uh, to sit back and say, okay, what does the Lord really want here? But the person who stirs that up is a problem. In fact, if you look in the book of Titus, Paul has a word for the church to warn the And I I remember going through an experience um, not too long ago, uh, actually a few years ago, where we were dealing with some divisiveness in another church. And I... In my heart, I was aching for the people who were stirring up the divisiveness because that is not something you want the Lord to deal with in your life. And I've, I've had opportunity to talk to people who have been in congregations and in the past and there's some things that they don't necessarily agree with the direction the congregation's going and one of the things that I always advise them is, is this going to be a divisive issue for you? Because if it is, then your choice is to remove yourself from that congregation. I don't want you to have divisiveness on your conscience. It is not something that the Lord takes lightly. Very interesting. That's for the church, okay? So if you're, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. But for a Christian, this idea of stirring up conflict in the community gets amped up when it's in the church. So keep that in mind. Apparently it's very interesting <clears throat> to God. So, before we begin to claim that any candidate is God's candidate, you have to remember that God is holy, God is truth, and God is order, and his leaders ought to reflect that. His leaders ought to reflect that or at least demonstrate an effort in that direction. Okay, but what about, what about, uh, what about those, those leaders who are non-Christian? Okay, all I'm saying is, is that if you are a Christian and you are evaluating based on Christian principles, this is something you have to remember. That God is holy and his leaders ought to reflect that at some level. That is a heavy weight but I think it's an important thing for us to consider. Now, last week, um, uh, like I said, we were out of town, but watched um, Mishana. Great message um, on uh, uh, the temptation of Jesus, but really listening to the voice of God. And there were three things that they brought out that I thought were were truly, were very powerful. Um, one is that um, the voice of God comes to those who are available, those who are willing, and those um, who are humble. And I think about those three things, and I, I think to myself, man, that would make a great candidate, wouldn't it? Somebody who is available, somebody who is willing, and somebody who is humble. Wow. 
I, I wonder what that kind of candidate would actually be like and what they could accomplish. Uh, I don't know. Um, someday, I hope we find out. So now you have um, a filter of sorts to evaluate character. You know, I'm going to make a statement here that's going to classify me as Captain Obvious. But to do this, to actually filter, is hard work. It's hard. Um, and I'd be lying if I, if I said it wasn't. <clears throat> this is hard work. Because I, I can imagine what's going through your mind, because it goes through my mind. Well, what happens, you know, since I only have a limited number of parties to choose from, and I have two dominant ones, <clears throat> what happens if I have a candidate who, who doesn't really make it through the filter, um, even though I'm aligned with that party? And here's my word of advice to you. You need to pray about that. I mean pray about it and say, God, what do I do? Because I see this and I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with where that party is going or where I think its vision of, of America ought to be, but this candidate doesn't match up. You need to pray about that one. Okay? What happens if you don't align with a party's ideology, but you're looking at a candidate who does a pretty good job on, on evaluating here? What, what do you do then? Pray about it. I think I said a few weeks ago, prayer is never the wrong response to any set of circumstances. Now, you, you may end up um, coming to the decision that you had when you started. You know, you, you may have a candidate, you may have a way of it, you may do that. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying, if you're going to evaluate as a Christian, you need to evaluate as a Christian. And, and you may... You may have some conflicts of interest here, just in, in some tension in your own life. And I think that's okay. But that's the moment when we seek God the most. You know, not when things are easy, but when things are hard. Now, more likely the case is, what happens if you find no candidate that fill, fulfills the, the filter? <laughs> that never happens, Right? And you're forced to pick the lesser of two evils. Have you heard that? How many of you have thought that in the ballot booth? Yeah, 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 I know. Here's my advice. Pray for the country. But demand better from the system. And that may, in, may mean that you need to be involved in the process somehow. I don't, I don't know. Um, if God's calling you to that or not, but the point is, is that you need to pray for the country if there's no candidate that is even remotely passes the filter. Pray for the country. Oh, God help us. But then demand better from the system. Because unlike the Old Testament, unlike the New Testament, we have a participative, participative form of government. We get to participate in it. And because of that, it may require us to actually do It may require us to be part of that process a little bit more. We don't just have to accept those things. We can be involved in it. So it is perfectly acceptable to demand better from the system. Now look, I understand that 
that the whole process is imperfect. And you may feel um, it's necessary to vote for one party's vision or an ideology despite of the quality of the candidate. I understand that. Okay? And what I want to say to you is that that's the decision that you make. Um, I think you ought to demand better, but fine. You can make that decision to, to go with a particular party. I, I understand that. But please, have the humility and have the courage to refrain from calling that candidate God's candidate. Because God is not on a particular party's side. He's not a Republican and he's not a Democrat. God is God. And he has another idea in mind. And please don't make it about one issue. Don't vote on a single issue. I could talk about that, but I think I'm going to wait till next week. And so what I want you to think about, because we're getting ready to go to the polls, you know it's coming up, right? Can't get away from it. I want you to vote your conscience. Really, I want that for you. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not going to do it. But you need to vote what's inside your heart after, after you examine the candidate in light of the scripture that as a Christian you uphold. Not just the party platform, but also the leader that's involved. And again, you may come to an imperfect decision. I get that. But if you're going to be Christian, do the hard work and have some humility about it. That's ultimately what I want you to know. And that's with you. And it might be a good idea to get into the presence of God and bring that into the polls with you. Right? Because God knows our country needs it right now more than anything else. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord. And while we're going to talk about that, you have ideas about how things ought to be. You have ideals and things for us to um, pursue, to hope for, to work towards, to dream about. And my prayer, Lord, is that throughout this entire um, season, with all of the um, crazy the dissension and the, the polarization that's going around um, this country, God, we need you more than ever before. Us, we believe in the hope that you have, the order that you offer. God, my prayer is that the people of Thrive Church would never be reduced to a voting block, but rather people lit up with the presence of God who think deeply and thoughtfully about complex issues and would seek you in your heart, every step of the way. That's hard work, but by your Spirit, we can do all of those things. Lord, I'd be remiss if I didn't pray for the United States and ask you for wisdom and ask you for peace. And we want to pray that you know, from the top down, but the truth of the matter is it starts with each one of us in our own hearts as we interact with other people around us. Oh God, 
Let your spirit speak to us and speak through us by not just what we say, but how we say it. Not just by what we do, but how we do it. And Lord, poke us and prod us in those places that will conform each one of us more to the character of Jesus. We say this often and we mean it, Lord. The world doesn't need more churches. It needs more people acting like Jesus, loving like him, and uh, standing for the things that he stood for, and being the kind of people um, that exhibit your presence. And as we go to the polls um, the next week, Lord, be present with each one of us with great wisdom, with great uh, courage, and hope, because we do have hope. You're the hope of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.